You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Your host, Dr. Hal, and every week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Mike, come to you and bring you the best information available on health care so that we can prepare you and arm you to advocate for yourself and your family regarding your health care needs. The show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led health care think tank in the country. Our uh, website is at www.d4pcfoundation.org. That's d4pcfoundation.org. Go to the website, support the organization so that we can come to you every week and bring you this show and do all the other work that we do. No amount is too big or too small. So go to the website, take your time, spend some time on it. There's a tremendous amount of information that's there that will astound you and open your eyes into what's happening in health care. Um, the um, sh- this show is uh, the uh, uh, brings you the information that doctors talk about in doctors' lounges all over the country, and today. We are going to try to uh, uh, get our um, interview uh, done without any glitches with uh, our guest, uh, Marty uh, McCary, who uh, was with us two weeks ago, and we had some technical difficulties. So we're going to do it again uh, today. Dr. Um, McCary is a, a surgical oncologist at uh, uh, Johns Hopkins University, and... Um, he is a uh, 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 a leading uh, investigator into uh, healthcare policy and wrote a, um, a very uh, poignant book, uh, "The Price We Pay: What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It." He's currently on his book tour and has been uh, kind enough. Uh, for now the second time to take some time out and join us in the doctor's lounge. Welcome, Dr. McCary. Great to be with you, Hal. Okay, well, you can hear us today, correct? I can hear you well. I love it. Okay, well, great. So, you know, um, first of all, um, the book that you wrote, The Price We Pay, this is not your first book, I know, but this book is a, uh, what, what I have been going around telling people is a must-read if you are concerned with um, what's going on in healthcare. And actually, um, for someone who has spent over a decade uh, researching healthcare issues and, uh, and understanding uh, what the problems are, probably better than most people, I actually learned new things from your book, and it, it not only informed me, but it made me angry. Is that some of the, the response that you're receiving uh, out there when you're talking to people? I have heard that the book is infuriating and at the same time has a lot of bright spots. You know, I try to basically be very honest about the problems, but for every problem, I present a solution or a disruptor. The innovators right now are giving me hope in healthcare. And so, um, especially in the last third of the book, I basically explain how we're going to get out of this mess. And to be honest with you, it has nothing to do with the government. Okay, the politicians talk about different ways to finance our broken health care system. They don't talk about ways to fix our broken health care system. 
And the reason to write a book is if you feel there's a story that needs to be told that is not being told. And right now, that story is that the affordability crisis in healthcare is not due to a government policy. It is due to middlemen pricing failures, and it's due to inappropriate care. And those are the things that are very fixable. So, so Marty, the 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 big problems in in uh, healthcare, and you've you've taken the time to really um, try to lay out. Um, a case for all the parties who are responsible or who at least are um, have a hand in driving the cost of health care up um, is there is there any any one group or any any few um, of the of these interests that uh, that play a major role in in uh, why health care is so expensive well I think that a topic that we don't really hear about is the middleman industry. I mean, there's there's good people in healthcare trying to manage the intermediary processes. Look, we need people to supply things for our hospitals. We need we need the light bulbs to work. We need people to hire staff. We need um, companies to come in with new inventions. Look, we we need pay people who are not patient-facing. I'm not suggesting that we wipe out the entire business of medicine and just have doctors and patients. <laughs> that would not work. But um, right now there's been this sprouting of an entire middle industry around repricing services and playing money games that just – doesn't need to be there. And those are not my words, Hal. Those are the words of the people in the industry who tell me that. They tell me, look, I do this role, and I, I, my job probably doesn't need to exist if we have a real, honest healthcare system. And so that's one of the big stories. Look, look, I don't think we have, and I think you'll agree with me, Hal, we don't have horrible people working in healthcare. We don't have diabolical people leading hospitals or insurance companies or some of these middle industries. We just have good people working in a bad system. This crazy system that we've inherited where hospitals and practices inflate prices to crazy numbers and then offer secret selective discounts depending on who's paying. That whole industry takes staff and people and then there's a big fight that goes on after the bill is issued. And the back-and-forth fight is not only costly and requires a lot of staff that costs money, but it's exhausting. And people are sick of it right now, and I think people have a right to be upset. So, the you know, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you've uh, just laid out, and I, and I do think that um, there are certain industries or certain middle, middle uh, men in healthcare that we really can do with that. And I think that one of the most infuriating um, chapters in your book centered around the pharmacy benefit management companies. So I would like to spend um, the rest of this segment and, and if we need to go into the next one about that because, honestly, the, the PBMs, the pharmacy benefit management companies, are... In in my opinion, not just my opinion, but I think that I share this opinion with many people, 
they are um, probably the the biggest culprits in the in the uh, area of why drug drugs cost so much money for people. So so I'd love you to just take a few minutes and lay this out. Well, when you pick up a drug at the pharmacy counter, there is a middleman behind that counter, not the pharmacist, but behind the pharmacy, there is a middle layer which sprouted up in the last couple decades. They've never been around 20, 30 years ago. These middlemen don't exist in any other country. And what these middlemen did is they came up to employers and they said, hey, when you provide health care benefits for your employees, we're going to manage the drug part. You, we're going to bill you for the drugs your employees take, and we're going to make sure they're on, uh, they claimed that they would make sure their employees are on low-priced medications, and they would take care of the co-pays and set the, set the amounts that the patients had to pay. And what they did is they started telling the employers, oh, here's the list of medications your employees took. Pay us for these medications, and we're going to divvy out the money to the pharmacy. And guess what? They were cheap with the pharmacy. They were setting high co-pays for the patients sometimes, and they're overcharging the employer. They were gouging, and they are gouging. Now, this middle layer, pharmacy benefit management, is not a service that um, is completely useless Sure, they're educating patients. They might set up a mail order for uh, somebody who needs critical medication for life. There are some services that can be of value, but the contract that businesses have with their pharmacy benefit manager is such that the businesses are getting ripped off all across America. Most businesses in America are getting totally ripped off, and they can renegotiate that contract. They can get a better deal. I show how businesses save half a million dollars overnight sometimes by just insisting on none of the money games in their contract with the PBM. And so you realize, you know, why do Americans have stockpiles of medications at their home that they've never had before in history? Because the PBMs are just shipping them out and they're over-supplying patients and they're getting patient uh, prescription renewal requests signed by doctors, even though the patient never asked for one. And there are so many of these money games going on. The biggest is just price gouging. And so you have um, these crazy games really right now threatening the public trust of the medical profession, selling mass numbers of medications we've never had before. Patients have stockpiles of these medications And by the way, this whole middle layer is fueled by a kickback from pharma to the middleman, and that kickback is known in the field as a rebate. If you've heard of pharmacy rebates in the news, that's because we sounded the alarm. This kickback from pharma to the middleman that the the middleman requires in order to list the drug in their formulary... um, it's crazy. It violates the anti-kickback laws, except the industry got their own law passed in 1987 to allow it. And so let's not call it a rebate anymore. It's not a rebate on cornflakes, trust me. <laughs> this is a k- 
take back. Yes. And it's it's wrong. It, it is completely wrong. And I'll, I'll just tell a quick an- anecdote. Um, I was visiting my, my uh, cousin who's now on Medicare Advantage this past weekend, and he's on uh, uh, hormone replacement. He's taking testosterone replacement, and he has got Medicare Advantage, and his uh, I think it's it's uh, uh, his plan is through United Healthcare. And he was telling me he is paying two hundred and twenty-five dollars a month for testosterone. Now, as a urologist, I know how much testosterone costs, and I just flipped out. I, you know, and I and I said that's that's ridiculous. You can pay cash for your testosterone and pay far less than your copay through your AARP. Um, uh, negotiated uh, Medicare Advantage through United Healthcare, and I showed him how he could get his testosterone for forty three dollars a month, and and you know, and and you, you that chapter in your book about the kickbacks is is uh, you know it just completely um, blows the blows the water out of this. It opens people's eyes that. The reason why his copay is two hundred and twenty-five dollars is because UHC owns owns the pharmacy benefit management company, and they're making money on both ends of the transaction. Yeah, all these middlemen were bought by insurance companies in these mega mergers over the last several years. I mean, can, let's turn off. How can we turn off the cable news channels that will tell us we're a divided country and all this nonsense? Look, who yes. in who? What American voter supports kickbacks like this? Nobody. And and Marty, I'm gonna. We're at a hard break right now, so we're gonna pick this up because this is so important. When we get back in the next segment, so please stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Howe, with my guest, Marty McCary, who is the author of The Price We Pay, uh, a book that I highly, highly urge every listener to purchase 
because it will open your eyes about what is happening in healthcare. Healthcare is not an insurance crisis. Healthcare is a cost crisis. And Dr. McCary points out why healthcare is so expensive in in this uh, well-written book, um, which is doing quite well, isn't it, Marty? I uh, hit number 13 on one of the lists. I'm, I'm really pleased with the uptake of it. That's great. So hopefully after this show, that that will even go up higher because of the reach of, <laughs> of uh, the doctor's lounge. <laughs> so, so, so we were talking about um, uh, the fact that the um, – that the the people who profit from from the news are trying to tell us that we are a divided country, and we have uh, um, this this problem, this real um, existential problem in healthcare, and we need to make a decision about which direction to go. And I think that that's in part true. Um, and I'd love for you to – I know that you're not taking a political stand in your book, but I would like you to just kind of uh, opine if um, – having having a, a government-run health care system, to me, seems like it would make the problems that you are enumerating far worse than they are. Well, I, I think, um, Hal, I live in the Washington, D.C. area, and it's hard to see the government do things well and efficiently. And a lot of times when the government creates these sort of entitlements, what it does is it enables a lot of bloating. Now, look, we all want everybody to have health care. I mean, I'm sure there's someone out there in America who's a horrible, diabolical person that wants people to suffer. But look, we all we all want that. Doctors, for the whole history of the medical profession, have taken in anybody regardless of their ability to pay, which, by the way, is getting harder to do now because the hospitals won't allow us to do it. But let's look at all of our federal spending on health care. Do you know that 48% goes to health care? 48% of all of our federal spending goes to health care in its many hidden forms. People are spending their Social Security checks now on Medicare co-pays and deductibles and co-insurance. The current Medicare system is running on fumes. So what are we proposing we increase that to? 48% should go to what, 90%? Do we cancel all other national priorities and feed this giant bloated economy? I think the way we get to... um, covering everybody is cut the waste. We already spend enough money to cover everybody in America. We just have to cut this waste. I mean, 30% of it is waste. And let's be very honest. You're right. I I try to avoid the political issues because they're not really talking about the core issues of kickbacks and secret pricing and the stuff where I think there's broad consensus. I don't think we're divided on health care. But, but let's, because you brought up, let's be very honest about the Affordable Care Act. It did three things. It intended to do three things, okay? Ban some dirty practices in the insurance companies like pre-existing condition selections. And you know what? It did that. There was bipartisan support. All Republicans and Democrats agreed on those provisions, keeping kids on your parents' plan until they're 26, getting rid of lifetime caps and protecting pre-existing. That was good. Okay, let's, let's just be honest. That was a good piece of it. 
The second thing it tried to do is expand coverage. It didn't do that entirely. It did that for part of the uninsured, and we can argue if that was an efficient way to do it or or, or we overpaid for that compared to other ways we could have done it. And the third thing is it claimed to lower health care costs. How it did not do that, that's not my opinion. It failed in that goal. Now, repealing it does not lower health care costs, okay? It failed to lower health care costs, so getting rid of that law does not lower health care costs. We need to address these root problems, and I think we, there's broad consensus in the United States about how to go about this if we can create health care literacy. Right, I, and, and I, I think that you can get uh, a, a coalition of people who – um, are involved in healthcare who would support that, and I think that you can get um, the public behind that because people are tired of watching their healthcare costs go up and the value for the money that they spend go down, and and a large part of that is because they are healthcare illiterate, and uh, that's that's really what the. Um, the I, people like yourself, like me, like others who have devoted their their spare time to uh, trying to uh, bring some kind of um, semblance of of uh, of uh, I, I guess um, normalcy to to healthcare and 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 uh, make it into something that that resembles anything else. That we spend money on in in America, it it's I think it's it's a it's a, a a goal worth worth striving for. So, so you've you know again I want to I want to um, talk about some parts of your book and some of the other culprits, people. And, and again, I don't I don't mean to paint anything with a broad brush because as you've said, there are good people you know who are in a bad system, but. But um, you know there there are some, in my opinion, some some major culprits who are very powerful, who are um, willing to spend billions of dollars to protect their special interests: insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, hosp- the hospital industry. And I want to focus next on on the hospitals and and. Um, how how hospitals, which used to be hotels for sick people that doctors decided to put their patients in, how it has transformed into, in many communities, the largest employer with incredible power. And if you go around the country, the, the biggest uh, building projects in major cities are these enormous... Um, shrines to healthcare that are that are called hospitals. So, so how did how did this happen, Marty? Well, what we've um, done is we've basically allowed hospitals to abandon their mission. If you look at the history of American hospitals, they were built with a charter to take care of people and be a safe haven when folks are vulnerable and sick, and that's our great medical professional profession heritage. And um, I've got partners at work, um, Hal, who say uh, in my surgery department, Marty, um, you're doing less surgery now than you used to do. What is all this stuff you're working on with hospitals and billing? <laughs> what, what, why are you doing this? 
And I tell them, look, we can have the cure for cancer, but if people don't trust us, those cures are no good. Mm -hmm. And right now we have a serious credibility problem with the public because of these money games, because hospitals have lost their mission and are price gouging people and playing money games. And you're right. Go to cities in America, you'll see an entire town revitalized by the growth of this medical industrial complex. Go to Pittsburgh. What do you see in Pittsburgh? UPMC. Skyscrapers of healthcare buildings. In this post-industrial, post-steel town in my home state of Pennsylvania, an entire city revitalized on healthcare and the business of medicine. Is that something to be proud of as a country? that healthcare is our largest industry. I mean, what are we exporting? What are we producing? Right, right. So, so I mean, what uh, first of all, let's let's kind of set the table and we we'll, uh with with um when when you're um implicating hospitals, share share a story if you will that that's emblematic of of where hospitals have lost their way well I, you know i visited some folks around the country to hear about their interactions with the hospital and what i found is that they have lost trust in their hospital as they've been price gouged and they often don't tell their doctor because they're ashamed or they respect the doctor so much they don't go to the doctor with the bill that they got, which is egregious. And when I take those bills back to the doctors and tell them the story of their patients and the hardship it's created, the doctors are outraged. They, they think it's wrong. They think, believe their hospitals have overcharged their patients, and they cannot believe what they're hearing when they find out their patients have been sued by the hospital and had their minimum wage paycheck garnished from a lawsuit for an overpriced inflated bill that was never intended for individuals to pay. It was intended for insurance companies to get a discount off that top number. And so doctors are rising up right now and they're saying the hospitals in many cases, not all, many many cases, hospitals have violated the public trust with these many money games. And I think um, doctors have a right to be upset. You know, Steph was a waitress in New Mexico that I visited. Uh, she's the single mom of three kids. She makes m- too much money to qualify for Medicaid. I mean, it's good that she makes money. She's working hard. She's, you know, um, has health insurance. She's done nothing wrong. And then she goes to the hospital, gets smacked with some gigantic bill for a, a little um, illness when she was pregnant seven years ago and the hospital is garnishing her paycheck now and she takes a second waitressing job i went to steph's home hal and i can tell you steph does not live like me and you and everyone else who's working in healthcare. steph is like the 50 percent of americans that have less than 400 dollars of cash in savings okay for many americans Life is a struggle, and we forget about that. Yeah, and yeah. when hospitals were built mostly by churches, they had a duty to care for their community, not to take advantage of them at a time when they're vulnerable and gouge them. And Steph's story reminded me that we have to be proximate to the 50% of Americans 
who have less than $400 of cash on hand. I think that's that's well said, Marty, and, and I agree wholeheartedly. And that's something to sit on while we are in the break and think about, and we'll be back in the doctor's lounge in a moment. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're back in the doctor's lounge with my guest, Marty McCary, the author of The Price We Pay, a fantastic book uh, on uh, the the uh, abuses in the healthcare system that are responsible for the high cost of health care um, and uh, how we can fix this problem. I want to remind those of you who uh, are Facebook uh, subscribers that this show is uh, being uh, streamed live on our Facebook channel on America's Web Radio and encourage you to continue to uh, support that channel. Um, And I want to remind everyone about the upcoming uh, uh, meeting in Orlando on November 14th and 15th. It's the uh, Docs for Patient Care Direct Primary Care meeting. Uh, This is the fourth annual meeting and there's no meeting like this in the country um, if you are a physician and uh, want to uh, you're either in uh, direct primary care already or are interested in uh, uh, in uh, uh, transitioning your practice to that or simply interested in what's going on I strongly urge you to attend that meeting so go to our website at triple wd the number four pcfoundation.org and you can get all the information about this meeting marty um you know i um have been watching uh the cbs morning news for the past uh, week and they have a segment on there about the high cost of health care and what's broken in health care and I think they also have it in the, in their evening news as well. I'd like to think that that uh, some of this was sparked by what you've written, um, but I, I think that there is a growing sense of uh, um, concern that uh, there is, and it's bubbling up that uh, that there's a, a gigantic problem in healthcare that needs to be fixed. Are you are you um, getting the same uh, sense as well? Yeah, I mean, people have reached a boiling point, and I, I've certainly been calling all these journalists and telling them, hey, 
let's talk about the real issue. <laughs> As you said, Hal, we don't we don't have a health care insurance crisis. We have a health care cost crisis, and we need to call things out. And we're basically through all this work, through the book, through talking to folks, through um, talking to journalists and having them do stories, we're trying to create public accountability. Look, most hospitals try to do the right thing, but this crazy game that we've inherited needs public accountability. And when you have a hospital charging somebody over half a million dollars for a basic surgery, that we know, we know the going price of that procedure is 10 times less or or even below that. We need some public accountability. When you have giant corporations running healthcare from, you know, several states away in some corporate tower, there are hazards to that. And the biggest hazard is losing touch with the front lines of medicine and not listening to doctors and abusing their power. And there's where accountability can get hindered. And that's why we need to just remember, when hospitals were built, they were built for their communities by their communities. And, 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 the, and by the doctors. Doctors' hospitals existed in every community around the country. And doctors, um, they, they, were, um, they were intimately involved in the management of the hospitals, and that no longer is the case. The first hospital built in the United States was Pennsylvania Hospital Benjamin, Dr. Benjamin Rush, one of the five physicians who signed the Declaration of Independence, was more, one of the most respected Americans at the time of the Revolution. Okay, him and, and Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Rush and Benjamin Franklin died around the same time, and the President of the United States at the time, John Adams, said both Dr. Rush and Benjamin Franklin had significant contributions to America, but by far, Dr. Rush had more. Hmm. And that's because he was respected. Yes, and doctors still have the respect of of, of patients, I think, and and uh, you know, and, and it's our responsibility to um, try to protect the public from what's going on. And I think that you've uh, you're you're um, waving that flag and making a great case. And I think that what you know, with with regard to hospitals and and how powerful they've become, and I and I'm on this bandwagon as much as anyone. Um, I think part of the problem, and I'd like you to weigh in on this, is the lack of competition in the marketplace, the over over regulation of physicians, and the uh, the the rampant uh, power that hospitals have been given. They've basically been given the keys to the kingdom. So so certificate of, there's some topics that you didn't touch on in, in your book that I'm going to bring up and play rapid fire with. So certificate of need. We've talked about that issue on this show multiple times, and we, and we don't need to, um, uh, I think, uh, define it. But but it's it's um, it's basically uh, anti-competitive laws that exist in 35 states. What's tell tell me t- share with us what where you stand on this and how this is um, hopefully going to be uh, part of the solution for this problem. Well, the idea that the government's going to tell us where we do or don't need doctors and hospitals and where we can and can't have clinics and hospitals is a little laughable. The reality is that process process has been corrupted in some states. It allows hospitals to penetrate those committees and create market dominance. And if you look at the 
purpose of certificate of need states, and if the purpose was to create a way to sort of uh, make sure there's only the appropriate growth of hospitals, they failed in their task. In the, in the 1980s, there was a boom of hospitals that we probably didn't need, um, and yet uh, the CON process had approved all of that. So very anti-competitive. And, and it also, and you have a whole chapter in your book uh, devoted to this subject, which is uh, transport and helicopters and certificate of need process um, is uh, directly responsible for the proliferation of that industry as well, if you care to elaborate. Well, you have people getting these helicopter lifts because a nurse or a doc or an EMT who's paid by the company to be their quote-unquote advisor dispatches the helicopter, and they 80% of these rides could be done by ground, ground transportation. And what you have are these, this business model of gouging. Most of these companies that own air ambulances are, are Wall Street and private equity companies. Their business model is gouging. They're sending people, by the way, how bills for a helicopter ride, that is the actual pr- price of the helicopter, That's of the aircraft movie. itself. You could, you could buy the aircraft for the bill that they're sending you. You could fly to China and back on a Lear private jet six times for the bill that they're sending. They're gouging people at a time when they're vulnerable. And, um, you know, it's all fed by this um, concept that they're going to show up wherever they want to show up. And and this is why people must buy your book, The Price We Pay, because it, it's going to take a a a, um, a groundswell of of uh, by, by the public who are fed up with all of these abuses in healthcare because people can afford healthcare if it was priced correctly, and it's all of these um, add-ons that have really um, uh, led to the escalation of health care costs in this country um, uh, more than anything else. Yes, uh, drugs, there are some expensive drugs, in, and those drugs um, are, are going to, uh, you know, um, the pharmaceutical companies that develop them need to recoup their investment. But but they shouldn't be marked up two or three or four or ten times by middlemen or, or, or hospitals who are trying to, uh, to shake patients down. And this is, this is why, why uh, this is a very, very timely book. Um, Marty, another topic that you really didn't get into that I, I'd like you to uh, weigh in on is the role of defensive medicine and malpractice in the high cost of health care. Yeah. Um, and just to add to the last point there, how, you know, good stuff is happening. We're on the brink of a revolution. Doctors are redesigning care from scratch, and I'm, I'm actually optimistic that we're going to be able to innovate our ways out of this because doctors are still one of the most respected professionals in the, in the world, and people value the uh, innovation and input of, of their doctors, and I think doctors are standing up. By the way, the hospitals that we told please stop suing patients. This is wrong. You're violating the public trust. Some of those hospitals have 
overnight decided created a policy to stop suing patients. Well, congratulations. So we are appealing to the best in people. Thank well, you. That, that, I think that's a very valuable um, you know, uh, service that, that you have uh, undertaken. I do think that doctors will lead the way, but they've got to be um, unimpeded. You've got to keep the special interests at, at bay, keep the government at bay, and let doctors who are really smart and really care, who are the, the only group that truly cares about patients, let them do what they devoted their lives to do and stay out of their way. Yeah, doctors are patient advocates by definition for as long as the profession has been around. And we represent those who are vulnerable. Uh, one, of, one of the favorite um, quotes that I cite in the book is, uh, a famous philosopher who once said, who else but physicians are best suited to be patient advocates as witnesses of birth and death? Hmm. We have a sense of the vision of human equality from our vantage point, and that's why I think you see doctors, no matter what their backgrounds are, they're united. We are united around advocating what's best for our patients. You know what? This is a tremendous segue into what I'd like to talk about, and I'm not. I'm going to pull you back into the defensive medicine after we touch on this. But you, you, you point out about what doctors bear witness to and and who they are. Do you? You know, there was a a, a tremendous article in the Wall Street Journal, which I have. I suspect you've you read a few weeks ago, which was written by former dean of uh, the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine about how medical education is um, is veering off course and and they're losing their way and and uh, and being being uh, um, sidetracked and distracted by issues that really are not directly pertinent to taking care of patients and and do you think that that is going to uh, the, the new generation of doctors that we're seeing, it, they're, they're going to feel the same way that you or I feel? Well, I'll tell you that um, the students I, I talk to around the country are sick of this archaic medical education system where they're squandering their bright, creative minds in this world of rote memorization, sometimes around things they really don't need to memorize, and meanwhile, their sense of passion for the profession gets just watered down year after year. You can see that the sort of smile start to turn into this neutral face, and even at the end, burnout and entitlement. And we look, look, we take the most, the brightest, most creative, most athletic, the most amazing young people who have the greatest altruistic goals to serve others, okay? That's why people go into medicine. And then we beat them down with this vocabulary and we sort of brainwash them with this, this new language, you know, instead of calling something medical care gone wrong, we call it a preventable adverse event. Huh. Instead of talking about healthcare prices, you know, medical prices, we talk about healthcare costs. You know, let's talk. Let's use real words. Well, how about how about providers and covered lives? This is where it oh, that's starts. That's so ridiculous. It's that's absurd. I mean, look, are we letting economists determine how our how our how the art of medicine should be defined? I mean, providers—that's an absurd term. 
Uh, I try never to use it, and I never use it, and it really it really makes me angry because I think that that's where things have gone off the rails when we let others co op our profession and uh, tell us, you know, how we should be doctors and, and how we should provide care. And uh, we, we have one more segment. This has been a great, a great uh, discussion. So I hope that you'll stay with us in the doctor's lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back in the final segment of the Doctor's Lounge. Thank you for being with us today with my guest, Dr. Marty McCary. Marty, um, i got three things I want to cover before the end of the show, so let me just get right into them. The role of defensive medicine and malpractice in, in, uh, in the high cost of health care. Well, look, um, we asked doctors in a national survey, what percent of all medical care is unnecessary? And they said 21% on average. They broke it down. 25% of all diagnostic testing, 22% of medications, and 11% of medical procedures. When we asked them, why is there so much unnecessary care? They cited, number one, a consumerist culture, people coming in demanding tests and demanding antibiotics for their kid with a viral infection. Right. And the second was fear of malpractice. And um, I think there's two parts to this. Number one, we've got to address malpractice in these fields where malpractice is clobbering doctors, OB, neurosurgery, rural communities. Now, for me in my field, Malpractice is not a huge problem uh, in uh, cancer surgery and GI surgery. I pay about $30,000 a year in malpractice coverage. Talk to OBs. They're getting hammered right now. 
Um, well, you know, okay, I'm going to stop you. Wait, hang on. $30,000 is, is, is just amazing, though, when you, when you take it out of the bubble and look at this. You're talking about the people who have $400 in savings and you're paying $30,000 in malpractice premiums annually. I mean, let's, you know, that, that in and of itself, if you just kind of parse that out, is, is really just astounding. Yeah, it's nothing to sneeze at, that's for sure. Yeah. But you look at these towns in America where no, there's no neurosurgeon or there's no OB anymore because of malpractice. That's a disgrace. Um, the other thing is when we teach our students about malpractice, we got to teach them to be bold and do what's in the patient's interest and not let lawyers dictate what we can and can't do. I mean, how many times have we seen... Um, a, a resident or a young doctor order an, a completely unnecessary test and they, they say, oh, it's because of the malpractice. And we think this is not one of those things where you have to get this done. Stand up. Do what's in the patient's best interest. Don't let these fears get overblown and allow you to dominate, you know, dominate what you do. And the, whether or not the patient sues you is more related to how honest and how well you communicate with the patient and how, how much they're content with your care than it is you missed something or you made a mistake. Patients can be very forgiving if we're honest and communicate clearly with them. So it does bother me to see people do unnecessary stuff and just blame it on malpractice fears. I tell them, look, be a doctor, do the right thing, and when that day comes, you'd be amazed how juries and judges and um, people um, are very forgiving and understanding to doctors if you communicate and document everything along the way. Okay. So wellness industry, you pointed this out as as one of the uh, uh, contributors to the, the uh, health care cost crisis, the the boondoggle of wellness. Why don't you? This is this is you know. There's you can't you can't uh, pick up a newspaper or go to the mall or basically uh, watch TV without hearing something about wellness. Well, the entire look. We all want people to be well. First of all, okay. No one is against wellness. I'm not against wellness, and you're not against wellness. Like we all want people to be well. But this wellness industry is this money-making empire that sprouted up with no science to support it. The little science out there to show uh, its impact has found no benefit. It's been largely a waste of money, and it was born by this puff article written by some of the uh, Obama advisors who basically believed that this was going to help. And they wanted it to be true, so they published this article in Health Affairs, famous article I cite in the book, that cited the return on investment on wellness programs. Well, guess where they got that from? They pulled it out of thin air. And that entire article spurred this new legal requirement that employers have to do a wellness program. And this industry sprouted, coming in and bringing apples at lunchtime once a year and having a dog you know, show up for pet therapy <laughs> at the office. And you're pay- we're paying for this. I'm not sure whether or not to laugh or cry because we are pay- we paid for it out of our wages and benefits pools. 
All right. So I, I real I this show often is has a you know it, it reeks of negativity, and and that's because healthcare is just so frustrating. There's so many problems that we that we point out that that uh, need to be fixed. And I know in your book you have done. Uh, you've you've made a, an effort to try to show how we can get out of this this death spiral, if you will. So, so in the last few minutes of the show, give us a few um, rays of hope how how uh, this this problem could be turned around. Well, we're seeing this in, in, in incredible growth of relationship based medicine. This new movement of doctors that are saying no to billing. I'm not just talking about concierge medicine. I'm talking about clinics that are saying primary care is broken. We're going to convert the billing room to a community room. We're going to work on a globally capitated or lump sum basis. These clinics are sprouting up all over the country. They're called Iora, ChenMed, Oak Street, Landmark, GenCare. And they are saying no to billing and no to the throughput model. And they are saying yes to relationships and building communities. They're treating one of the greatest public health epidemics today no one's talking about, which is loneliness. They're creating communities for their patients. They teach cooking classes for diabetes. They manage back pain with ice and physical therapy as much as they do with surgery and opioids. And so they're doing good work. This is a bright spot. It reduces overall health care costs. The data is coming in, and it's one of the really exciting things. On the pricing front, doctors are listing their services on mdsaves.com and other online platforms like Clear Health Cost. And we're seeing a new marketplace because if airlines billed us after the flight, they would be gouging us. Okay, if there were no prices on travel sites, you'd have a market feeding off of price gouging. And that's what's going on today. And in Carlsbad, New Mexico, we're seeing end of the story on our work. I went to the radiology counter and said, how much is a CAT scan here? She said, it's about $5,000, but if you go on mdsave.com, you'll see our hospital has it listed for $500. <laughs> and that is the power of the free market. We're seeing competition come back to healthcare. Okay, okay. So what can people in general do? What If, if, if they're... If they read your book and they are angry or they are uh, motivated, tell tell everyone you know how how they can um, be a part of change. Well, we're trying to encourage doctors and all health professionals, um, not just doctors, all health professionals, to say, "Hey, we want to be a model medical center or group in the community." We want to have billing practices that are so fair and honest that people are attracted to us because they know they're going to be treated well medically and they're going to be treated with billing quality. Billing quality is medical quality. Financial toxicity is a medical complication. And hospitals are taking a code of conduct uh, pledge that we've put on restoringmedicine.org where we've given people guidance on how to fight unfair medical bills and we tell them talk to the doc because the docs when they know that you need help we have a history of responding and we will be your advocate we're getting docs to talk to their hospital executives and their boards about public accountability 
around a lot of the stuff that we talk about. Employers can choose better health insurance and pharmacy plans using honest brokers and not ones taking kickbacks, and I explain how they can do that. There's a lot of good stuff happening, and there's a lot of stuff that we can do regardless if the government ever does anything to help us. Do you think, and again, I, I, I don't really, I'm not trying to pin you down or make you uh, take a side, but do you believe that um, there is um, hope um, for for what you're advocating if if Democrats get elected or if Republicans get elected is or is this is this do you think that this is um, political party agnostic? Well, I think the battle in front of all of us is not the right versus left problem. The problem is the swamp and the special interests of Washington D.C. versus the American people. I think there's broad consensus. We can get rid of secrecy and secret pricing and kickbacks. Um, you know, the president signed the executive order. I know you and I have both had a voice in the, in the Trump administration on this. Here is a great move by Secretary Azar and President Trump that got no media attention because it was not a partisan issue. It was he did what was right for the American people. He helped drive transparency around hospital pricing not just the charge master prices, but the secret negotiated deals with insurance. He brought that to life. That is a great thing. It got no media attention because it's got bipartisan support. But good stuff is happening right now. And if we just talk about throwing good money after bad into a broken system, which is what I hear a lot about with these Democrat candidates, um, we're just going to be left with a massively uh, dilapidated and bloated health care system. Well, you know, I think I, I'm, I'm going to – we have like a couple of minutes left, and I, and I, I just want to um, point out and get your comment about um, Senator Bernie Sanders, who just had stents put in um, the day before yesterday, and how in his system of Medicare for All, he, he very likely, if he were in the British system, would not have gotten those stents. He, well, were, I can... Go ahead. Yeah. I, I think, um, look, I've got to applaud. If we can come together more as a country, and let's be honest, I mean, I applaud the advocates for Medicare for All for trying to do what they believe is right for the best interests of the most number of people in America. That That's a good goal. I mean, it's, it's they've got a good heart. It's just financially the numbers don't work it doesn't it's not it, it does, it's not practical because we're spending 48 percent of all federal spending on health care just read my article in usa today recently yeah what are we proposing we take that to 80 90 percent um it'll, and it'll throwing be. good money after bad into a broken system is not how we get broader coverage how about we cut the okay. waste let's give transparency a chance let's cut the middlemen Let's talk about inappropriate care. Exactly. So we're at the end of the show. Marty, doc, Dr. Marty McCary, the author of The Price We Pay, please get his book. Marty, thank you so much for being our guest today. The show worked today as, as compared to the last time we tried to do this, and I think everything went <laughs> great. So I hope, I hope to have you on again at some point in the future. 
Great to be with you, Dr. Hal. Okay, thanks again, and and come back next week with Dr. Mike on the doc and in the doctor's lounge. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.